Hey guys, before this episode begins, I just want to let you all know that I've partnered with DAT Bootcamp to offer a 10% discount code on all Bootcamp products. While studying for my DAT, I found DAT Bootcamp to be the best resource during my preparation. Their extensive review videos and practice exams are second to none. Use code DOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount, applicable to all programs Bootcamp has to offer. Again, that's DOD10 at checkout. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dose of Dental podcast. The focus of this podcast is to share undergraduate and dental school experiences from dental students and dental professionals through valuable discussions. Through sharing the journeys and stories of current dental students and dental professionals, our goal is to help you find answers or guidance for your own pre-dental journeys. We are very excited to have Stony Brook Dental student Alessia Nantani with us today. Alessia graduated from Emory University with a bachelor's degree in biology and global health. She's now a D1 student at Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine. Hey, Lesia, welcome to the podcast. How has your first year of dental school been going? It's kind of crazy that like you're almost done with it. I know. It actually is crazy to think I'm almost done. I feel like this year went by so quickly, um, but it went really well. Um, we were in the med school for like the first half of it until spring break. And then we just started in the dental school like three weeks ago. And it's definitely like a fresh perspective. It's nice to be in the dental school full time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you already knew going in that you're going to be like with the medical students, right? For the first half of the year. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, where you grew up, you know, we like to do fun. Yeah, so I'm actually originally from Phoenix, Arizona, so kind of far away from here. Um, I guess like my favorite things to do are like I was part of a dance team um, when I was small and in college. Um, I like to paint. Um, I have like my paintings up all around my room. Um, and also, I just like to get outside, work out, um, stay active. So whether that means like getting outside, like hiking in Arizona was a big thing growing up or now just going on walks outside to get a little bit of sun. I definitely miss that from Arizona. Um, But yeah, everything's just been, I've been, I've had time to be able to do those things while I'm in dental school. Well, nothing against like the uh, time management aspect of dental school, like how you kind of manage your time and, you know, have time to do other things besides just studying. Um, But I want to hit you with that question, right? So, so why dentistry? (laughs) Yeah, so My mom is actually a general dentist, um, so I feel like I was in this space growing up. I saw like what it entails, um, and I just realized that it's a perfect fit for me. I always enjoyed medicine, um, but I think dentistry is specifically a good fit um, for people who enjoy working with their hands, who are more artistic, um, who like that patient interaction every single day. I know that one great thing that she loved about the job that I also resonated with is seeing generations of patients coming into her office. Um, And so you really, really get that close patient interaction um, and you get to know these people like their family. Now, were you like around her office a lot? Did you kind of assist her a little bit as you grew up or were you just kind of, you know, always in it? Yeah. So I was definitely a hard kid to actually come in and work. I never wanted to do that. Um, But I would go and shadow her. I also worked front office at her office for a while, which I think is super important. I think that we don't really get the chance to learn the business aspect or the front office aspect in dental school. And it's really important to get an idea of what that's going to be like since most of us end up working in private practice after we graduate. Um, And so that was a super helpful experience, just understanding insurances, understanding marketing, understanding, you know, like how to keep patients coming and keep them comfortable in the office. I think so. I work in office too. And um, there's always like a, a little dynamic between the front desk people and like 
our assistants because we have no idea. We just we're just there to like do the procedures right and help the doctors. But we don't know, you know, a patient might take like an hour for a consult, but then they have no insurance and they can't do the procedure at the end of the day. So I think there's a lot to be said about the knowledge of assistance to understand what the insurance aspect of it is, just so that maybe in the future we can like maybe make the most out of our time at doctor's time. Because if a patient's going to come in, do a consult for like an hour, and then they eventually just get nothing done, then I feel like it's kind of not a waste of everyone's time, but it could, there there could be like a better use of everyone's time. So that's definitely a really interesting part that you said. And I know even in dental school, right, you have to do most of the administrative work yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that we'll get a better idea of how that goes once we start in clinic. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's so important to have a good knowledge of the insurance aspect of it. Like, I think that that's a big thing that's going to be affecting future dentists too. Um, you know, a lot of people, I was just actually at lobby day for ASDA. And one of the things that we were advocating for was um, insurance companies um, determining what dentists can pay or can charge for certain um, things that they do in the office, even if the insurance doesn't cover the whatever procedure is being done. And so there's like a lot of there's a lot of little things that insurance companies have a control over in the office that we might not be aware of until we're actually like a dentist practicing. And so having an idea of those things and going into it um, is definitely very valuable. And I kind of read up on that a little bit. Like, I don't understand how they could have fixed rates for things that they don't cover. Exactly. <laughs> That's me, but they're trying to get you again, I guess. Um, so let's rewind a little bit. So how was your undergrad experience? I know you went to Emory, but you're from Arizona. So how did that kind of work out? Yeah. So I knew I wanted to go out of state. I think Emory is known for being a very good school to prepare you for med school, healthcare professions in general like that. Um, and so we had a very big pre-medical um, society, but the pre-dental society was really small, as I'm sure it is at most schools. Um, and so that was one thing that I really enjoyed getting involved in. I ended up, um, you know, my second and third year, I was uh, the vice president of community service and of mentorship um, at Emory. And then my senior year, I was president of the pre-dental society. And by doing that, I realized how much mentorship is required and how much you can learn how valuable it is to have those mentors whether they're peers or upperclassmen or um, advisors at the school and i think emory was a really great place to be for pre-dental specifically because we actually had a specific pre-dental mentor um, or advisor and so i ended up getting very close with him he made sure to you know there are differences between applying to medical school and dental school and he made sure to make those very clear to us um, and so I think that I had an overall really great experience there. And the, I think the idea of increasing membership at the pre Society at Emory was something that I was able to achieve by the end of the time that I was there. So did you um, have your side set on the industry like when you entered freshman year? Like did you already know that you wanted to go, I guess, not maybe dentistry, but the science medical route, medical school, dental school? Yeah. So, I mean... I knew that I wanted to do dentistry when I came in, but I think once I was there, I kind of switched up a little bit. Um, I was interested in public health. As I said, I was a minor in global health, um, and I really, really enjoyed everything that I was learning in those classes. Um, but I think that I really solidified wanting to do dentistry after I started volunteering at this free clinic in Atlanta. Um, it's called Clarkston Community Health Center, and they provide free care for low-income immigrants and refugees in the Atlanta area. Um, and I worked actually as a dental assistant. And I realized that there's a lot of overlap between den like oral health, dentistry and public health. 
that isn't covered usually. I mean, we focus a lot about systemic health when we talk about public health and advocacy and education. And there aren't as many people talking about oral health um, in that space. And so I think that I realized that that was something that I could do is be a clinician, but also be able to talk about the public health aspect of it and really engage my community in educating themselves on oral health and how it relates to their systemic health. So that's kind of how I like solidified my decision. And uh, I actually went to a conference, like there's a Harvard Prudential conference and my sister lives up in Boston. So I'm able to go and stay with her and go to these things. Um, but one of the professors talked about like global oral health. And I, I went on a mission trip um, this past summer to Guatemala and it was from VAW. So we went to um, this place called San Pedro in Guatemala and we did, we, opened, we had a little clinic and we treated patients that really don't get regular dental treatment at all. Right. So they come in with abscesses, um, a lot of infections that we can't treat because we don't have x-rays first of all, and then we can't like put them to sleep or anything. So it's kind of more surface level dentistry. Um, but after I went to that conference, after I came back, um, she kind of, the professor kind of talked about, you know, how she had a practice, she had a private practice, and then she kind of sold it because she thought, well, she went on a trip, same as I did. And then she kind of, op it opened her eyes to the inequality in global health there is. And so she essentially sold her private practice, which was doing very well. She sold it and now she's doing like kind of global oral health lecturing and kind of educating the public on, on these things. And I feel like a lot of dental students get sucked up into assisting at an office here that do a bunch of implants a week to patients who can afford it, right? And that's what we think is dentistry. But honestly, like people will say they want to help each other. And that's what every single dental student says. The best way to help somebody is to help people that actually need it, like even more than people here, um, which is what you're kind of saying. And so these people like, you know, in Africa, you know, in, in, in Mexico that don't have that treatment to healthcare, I think that's a one aspect of dentistry where everyone should at least try to get involved and try to get a little bit of exposure to. Um, so, you know, pre-dental students, maybe they might have some like a VAW as a club that, that does these mission trips. I know mission trips can be kind of suspicious sometimes, but it was fine. We got we're still here. So, but um, that's a very important part of getting it. And so I've kind of got both of the roles, like people that get full mouth restoration treatments, and people that can't even get an extraction. So like, it's a dilemma. You probably can relate to this probably from everything you've seen. Um, like, what are your thoughts on this dilemma between people who can afford this healthcare in America and people that can't even get access to it in other countries? How can we kind of educate ourselves on that? I don't know. I mean, I would even like to say that there's so many communities of people within the U.S. that can't get access to the care, right? Like, all of these people that we were treating were in Atlanta. They were, I mean, granted, they were immigrants or they were refugees from other countries from all over. They spoke like, I think we had over 30 different languages of patients that came in. Um, and so I definitely think it's important, obviously, for um, American trained dentists to go to other countries and assist or, you know, provide care, provide screenings, provide education in other countries. But I always am of the idea that we should start at home, right? Like we have so many communities in rural communities here that aren't able to get access to general care, to general dental care. Um, and the patients who are coming in had no idea about the things that they had to do um, to, you know, even treat their own regular day to day oral health. There were there were patients who would come in and they wouldn't brush their teeth with actual um, toothbrushes. We have this thing in India called neem powder. And they would just put that on their finger and just use that to clean their teeth. And obviously, you're not getting the same kind of cleaning with just using a powder 
as you would with brushing your teeth. And so because of that, we would have people coming in with severe periodontitis. And all we could do at that point is extract their teeth because the only thing, as you said, that we have capacity to do at clinics like that is fillings and extractions. We don't have the capacity to do crowns or root canals or implants or any of those things. And so you'd have patients come in with all of their molars missing, which at that point is going to completely change the way that they function, right? They have a lack of ability to chew food. Um, of course, it's going to affect the way that they look, which affects the way that they would be able to get a job in the future. And so all of those things are really important, I think, to address. Um, and so I think the number one thing, there is a, um, a organization called RAM, like Remote Area Medical. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but it's very similar to the free clinic that I worked at, but they travel and they do these kinds of um, procedures in different places like Tennessee, um, New York. There's actually one of them. And so I think that it's super important for students to go to these events and for dentists to volunteer their time at these events and provide their care. And obviously, I think the number one thing that we could do is promote more dentists in rural areas, right? Like we should have more dentists. And it's difficult, of course, with you know, the way that we have so many student loans by the time we graduate. Um, and I can talk about that a little bit more into, you know, why I chose the dental school I'm at. But, you know, with how much we owe by the time we graduate, so many dentists just want to go in and make it a business hungry kind of private practice where they can pay off their loans just literally to live. Um, but at the same time, it's really important to at least spend some time in rural communities and be able to give back in that way and provide to the people who can't reach the urban areas. I know, at least at my office, I know a lot of our doctors go to these like the CE courses, um, but most of the courses are actually, I think they have them in areas where people need the treatment. So it's kind of like a double dipping where like doctors who are already practicing, they can maybe go further their skills, but they can also help the community. So I guess like that way would be one way to kind of make this a little better. We're going really into the topic, but it's pretty interesting to me. I think it's it's, it's pretty important. Um, so what else your undergrad did you kind of have to do to kind of make yourself stand out? I know you're on like a dance team. You did a lot of painting, a lot of cooking. So can you talk about a little bit about how I guess those things kept you grounded and how you kind of use that to stand out to dental schools? Yeah. So I think my first two years of college were very difficult for me, at least in terms of adjusting. And I'm sure a lot of students can relate to that. Um, going into like pre-medical classes at a school like Emory was actually very difficult, especially considering that they made all of the intro courses weed out classes for pre-med and pre-dental students and we had to take all the same courses, right? Um, so I think I had a lot of difficulty with my mental health the first two years. And it was really during COVID that I was able to take the time and sit back and notice that it was my own you know, decisions, the way that I spent my time that was making it worse. Um, and so really, I would say post-COVID is when I started making time for all of these things that I know keep me grounded and keep my mental health a lot better, you know, um, make me more sane. The number one thing that I would say is do the things that you enjoy, whether it has to do with your application or not. I mean, painting obviously helps with your dexterity and things like that, right? Um, and so I'm lucky that I was able to to do something that aided both in my career and also just in my mental health. But at the same time, I would take time to do things that had nothing to do with dentistry. My dance team that I was on, we practiced over 20 hours a week. And I knew that that would take away from time studying, but I also knew that that gave me the ability to exercise, get endorphins, spend time with other girls that I really enjoyed hanging out with, and you know, connect to my culture because it was a Bollywood dance team. And so I knew that that was a good 
time spent, even though it took away from, you know, studying. And it just, it aids in learning how to spend your time, how to um, not procrastinate, how to make sure that you are um, really diligent with what time you do have to study. I think it's very important. And, um, you know, a lot of people get stuck in the books um, and don't do anything besides studying. Um, I think that's tough because even like I-, I love playing basketball. It's kind of like what I do all the time. Uh, I'm not like LeBron James or anything, but like I-, I can I can get some kids going. But um, like when I when I'm in the gym, I don't think about my next like chem test or both test or any of this other stuff I have to do. Right. It's just kind of like a getaway. And that's super important. Um, not even just like towards studying, but just towards your mental health, I guess, like you said. Um, and that's it's super, super interesting. So um so like what how did you use these experiences and kind of cultivate everything towards your application like towards your you know as you as you get to like junior or senior year and did you even take a gap year after i don't remember if you said that so i took a gap semester i graduated in december of 2021 and so i had that gap from january until starting in august but i did apply as though i was going to go straight through um but it was really nice to have that time off <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of my friends actually take the gap semester and they kind of just go travel or they just kind of relax and chill yeah. things they wanted to do before. Um, so how did you? How was the application process like? So you applied probably like in June, May, June, right? Isn't that kind of the yeah. cycle? Yeah. So I applied um, the June right before my senior year started. Um, I had pretty much all of my prerequisites done except for like one course, I think microbiology or something like that, um, and. So I was able to spend that last semester just preparing for interviews. So the application process, I think, was really aided by um, Emory because we had a composite letter. So we had like a school composite letter, right, where they um, will basically write a summary of all of your experiences, your grades, your DAT score, all the activities you did, the research you did, um, your letters of recommendation, and they'll compile all of that and send it to all the schools that you're applying to. Um, and so they actually had a lot of these due dates due, you know, December um, before you're going to apply, February before you're going to apply. And I think that that really helped in making sure that my application was completely ready by the first day it opened. I would say like the number one advice that I would give in terms of the application cycle is to submit on the first day, because as everybody knows, it's a rolling application, right? So say a thousand kids apply that first hour those are the first thousand applications that they're going to be looking through. And they might find 30 or 40 kids they like in that thousand and not even get to yours if you applied in July or August or September. Um, and so I think that the number one thing that was super helpful was having everything prepared, my personal statement ready to submit, um, all of my activities logged um, on like a Google Doc with a 650 like character count or whatever it was written out for each thing. So I could just, as soon as it opened, I could plug everything in and just submit it all. Right. And so, I mean, let's let's go back, right? We should talk about the DAT a little bit. I know it's, it's kind of like one of the biggest things to talk about. So how did you kind of go about studying for that? And like, when did you take that? Um, did you take it like a couple months before your application or did you take it during that gap semester? Like, what did you kind of do? So I was actually very early with my DAT. I took it um, right after my sophomore year of college. Um, because that was COVID summer for me. So I really had nothing else I could do other than study at home. And I would say that that is the biggest deal is you want to have nothing else to do during the time that you're studying for your DAT. Um, 
I think it's the number one thing that contributed to my success is I sat down for three months and it was just my entire focus for those three months. I didn't go into it thinking this is the first time I'm going to take it. I went into it thinking this is the time I'm taking it and I don't want to retake it because I think that a lot of students get hung up on, oh, well, I can retake it later or I can take it a second or third time. And, you know, I'm just going to do it this time to see how it goes. And then, you know, it gets really prolonged. And a lot of the time, like if you just plug in all the information, you just really get it all into your brain in those eight weeks or 10 weeks, then you will have that short term memory to be able to do really well in the exam. So um, I use DAT Bootcamp um, and it was basically, I think, a 12 week program. And um, I lengthened it, I think, to 15 weeks. So it gave me a little bit of wiggle room. Um, and I think the number one thing that I would suggest in addition to boot camp, it was a great resource, by the way. It was wonderful. But I think Anki is like the best thing. And it's funny because my friends make fun of me so much now in dental school for being obsessed with Anki. But I swear to God, it's what medical students like live by for their board exams and trust it is such a good way to get this memory um, of all these random things you have to know for the DAT. So I would say like, Every day you spend some time doing content and then at night you can take a break and then at night just do the Anki to review um, all of the content that you covered for the day. And so I, I took mine like March, March, so like a month ago, I guess you'd say. And I think the best thing, so I studied over winter break of my junior year. I really wish I did it after like the summer after my sophomore year though, because um, I had nothing going on really. I mean, I was just, I, I went on the message trip and then I went, I did research second half of the summer but um i wish i took it then just because when school starts like coming up on you like it's kind of you might have time but like the mental time you have i guess you would say is not enough um but um in terms of anki like anki was honestly it was great because for bio especially bio um i wouldn't be able to bang out like maybe a chapter within like an hour because of all the, all the cards they have and sometimes I, they have bio bites in boot camp so I would the order I would do it in I think I would do um I'd read those yielded notes they have the, the high yield notes yeah. those notes, right those are pretty good I read those maybe six times with my whole through my whole studying and then so I would do I read those notes and then I would do the bio bytes because the bio bytes are essentially like a representation of the notes just questions and then from there I would go to Anki and by the time I get to Anki I'm already like seeing the material like maybe twice um so then I would just do the the cards and then you know the next day they, they come back again so then you just keep doing it again and again and again. And there was good active recall there. So when the test actually came, it was just kind of like I finished by the bio section, maybe like I don't know how much how much time do you get? Like 40 minutes or like 30 minutes? I don't remember. <laughs> it took it like a month ago, I don't remember. But I think <laughs> 30, 40 minutes, but I finished it in about like 20 minutes, just because of how much um Anki kind of cemented the information to my brain. Um and then I would do like a little bit of PAT every day. I know PAT is one of those topics where like kids are like, damn, I, this what am I looking at right now? I was like, it's, Yeah. But I like firsthand experience guarantee you that the actual exam, if you do boot camp, the actual game is a lot simpler than what's on boot camp. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I would definitely say that. So I think the the best thing to do is take every single practice test that they offer on boot camp. Um, and I'm sure that you would say the same. When you take those practice tests, the number one thing isn't just to, you know, see what your score was in each of the subjects and move on. But to actually go through and actively figure out, you know, what topics and content material you were struggling with, because usually they will give you a breakdown. And so you can see, oh, 
you know, I need to work more on this system or physiology or biochemistry, whatever it is um, within each subject. And that, that really helps you tailor your studying for the last month before you're going to take it. And everybody says this, but the day of your score for each category goes up like two points. And that's what happened to me too. Like, and some of them, they went up by like four points. So it was just, it was great to just, you know, you feel like really nervous going into it because the boot camp exams are so difficult, but trust that it really, really prepares you the day of and you'll be happy, like you'll be very pleasantly surprised after the exam's over. Yeah, for sure. And I would say like, um, I mean, I don't know if you, did you do like Destroyer? Did you get those books or no? I don't think so. No. Well, I, I had, I was able to get them and I wouldn't say, I mean, the bio and Jen Kim, that's all great, but I guess math would be the best thing to get just because math is so, it's so repetitive. So the, the destroyer math books they have are essentially the same thing as the actual exam, same questions. And there's like maybe 14 exams in that book um, and doing them repeatedly, like really gets into your brain because it's all like a pattern, right? The, the test itself is not like super, super, super hard. It's more like how to take it in like recognizing patterns. You know what I mean? So if you know what equation to use in Gen Chem, you're good. Like if you know what equation that, what reaction that is in Argo, you're good. Bio, like you can just, if you can make like mental pictures and visualizations, then you should be, you should be good to go in that section. I don't know. What other sections did you kind of, or I guess, how did you approach it, the PAT section? I think the PAT section was my weakest section. Um, it didn't end up going very badly, but I was definitely most nervous for that one. The main way that I did it was how they structured it in boot camp. So I started with the easiest categories. I think it was like, I honestly don't remember all of the categories under PAT, but there's like three that are easier and three that are harder of like kinds of questions they'll ask. And they're not in the same order. Like it's not like the three easiest go first and then three hardest go last, but you literally just start with the easiest ones. You skip all the questions that are harder. You do the easiest ones and then you have more time to spend on the ones that are harder. Um, and literally that one's just practice. There was like a PAT app that I would use. And when I was like driving or not driving, when I was like on the train to go to like dance practice or like when um, I was just at home and like I wanted to take a break from like biology hard content, like I would just do those and they were really fun kind of. It was like a game almost. And you just like practice over and over. And literally that's the only way you can get it. So yeah. I think those are the three easy ones are like cube counting. There's whole punching and then there's pattern folding right yeah ego raking is like some bs like you just gotta you either get it or you don't i don't know yeah and then the tfe all tfe was also kind of interesting just because um i guess the more you do it the easier it is but on buka on the actual exam i swear like the shapes were just like they were not that complicated it wasn't like there was a thousand different angles or whatever to analyze it's kind of it's very simple same yeah. with keel hole punching uh, i'll make a whole like episode on this because it's really interesting on how i approach the every section um but hole punch there's always a little there's if you find like a method you really like and just go with it then you're gonna get all the questions right and um, i'll probably make a video on like how which ones i use and which ones are the best um but yeah i mean so once the dt is out of the way uh i mean you did your personal statements how did that kind of go how did you kind of approach that how long did that kind of take you to get to the final product yeah so honestly i think that i thought it was going to take a lot longer than it did um, I just sat down and started writing like it was a journal entry one random day over summer, I think, or winter break, because I think my personal statement was due in February for the school. 
Um, and so I sat down over winter break and I was like, let me just start writing something down, like a journal entry. At least if I have something down, I can read through it and find ideas I like within it. And I ended up just writing straight for like two hours or something. And I had two pages just fleshed out. And obviously that is a very, very like early draft of it. Um, but I had the ideas of what I wanted it to be about. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of people read my personal statement. My sister um, was in med school at the time. She's a resident now. So I had her read it. Um, I had my advisor read it, my pre-dental advisor, um, and a couple of, of other people that I thought could give me constructive criticism. And um, I think that it did change. Obviously, at some points I was like, I just need to scrap the whole thing and start over. But at the end of the day, like I knew that what I started with was very honest and very like just clear about myself. And it was very personal. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to go with that. Some people disliked the way that I wrote um, and other people were like, you're being very raw in this. And I think that that will speak to the kind of person you are. And so whenever I talk to people about writing their personal statement, I always say you should never write about something that you think they want to hear. You should always just be very raw and just listen to what you want to say and what your journey was. It might not, you know, strike a right chord with every single person who reads it, but you don't want to go to those schools if they don't like the kind of person that you are, right? So I always say be as honest and vulnerable as possible um, and somebody will see that you were being very honest and really commend you for that. And how did you kind of make your, like, I mean, like, how did you catch the the reader's eye? Like, what were what were some techniques you kind of used in your personal statement that kind of made it stand out? Do you feel like? I mean, I'm not sure because I was never on an admissions board, but I would say that like the biggest thing that I enjoy about my writing is making it more artistic, um, you know, than just kind of stating things that happened in my life. Um, you know, I drew a connection between my connection with spirituality and meditation to shadowing and how watching these dentists was very meditative to me and watching the work and seeing how they were so um you know precise with the way that they were doing things and the way that they were just completely zoned in on what they were doing and then i connected you know my interest in ayurveda and cooking with you know mental health and overall systemic health and how these are not all separate things. Our gut health, our mental health, our oral health, they all connect to systemic health, right? And so I think just like bringing in different experiences, but in the end, tying it all into why dentistry and why oral health specifically is the thing that I think was really great. Did that kind of stuff come up during interviews? Oh, yeah. I think ever, that, my personal statement came up in like all of my interviews. Um, one of the things that I was worried about that I talked about in my personal statement was my mental health the first two years of college. And um, I used the word quit. And like somebody who read my statement was like, you shouldn't say that. They don't want a quitter. They don't want somebody who doesn't follow through with what they're doing. And I was like, I'm going to keep that in there because that's part of my journey. And I, you know, I quit a lot of things in the first two years and just completely confined myself to my room and became, you know, just very lazy and I wasn't doing the things that I was supposed to be doing but then in the end that ultimately like made me change as a person um and everybody brought it up in my interviews and they were like you really had a journey during college um and you really overcame something um and that really goes to show it's a testament to 
you know, dental school is very difficult and you are prepared for the difficult times that are going to occur. Like they don't want somebody who's just perfect and knows exactly what they want to do 24-7, you know? So just be very vulnerable, I guess. And I mean, that's the honesty right there is what might even help you get through your interview. Because if it's like that, if you're that honest about something and they read it, then you can talk about it, right? You can literally talk about it. And I don't know how long interviews like usually go for in 20, 30 minutes. Is that how it works? So hour? It really depends on the school. So yeah, some of mine went the full hour and they were very like, would just ask me the questions that they had written down. And other ones were like, we were just having a conversation and sometimes it would just be 20 minutes. Sometimes it'd be over an hour. So I mean, yeah, if you write something about that, like you can just talk about that. Like it doesn't even have to be about dental school at that point or like your other other stuff that you're doing, right? So I mean, that's that's something to think about when people are writing the personal statements. Um, definitely the hardest thing people like the real students I've seen like trying to get around is that say that voice, that passive voice. Like I want to, I don't know, like I want to help people. I guess that's what you would say. Like that's yeah. the thing to say. Um, did you write? Did you? ever have that kind of um voice in your personal statement like did you ever have like i want to help people and then you kind of like think that you want to do something like adjust that so it doesn't sound like you're just being like everybody else yeah i think that's where your specific experiences come in because everybody who's going into healthcare wants to help people right there's a reason they're going into service-oriented job um and so i think the way that you approach that is talking about why you want to help people or what experience brought you to that realization. Um, and so for me, it was working at Clarkson Community Health Center and working at a free clinic and just seeing like the range of patients that you can encounter versus working at my mom's office, you know, in a nice suburb and the kinds of patients that she would see. And so I think just being very specific with your why is what makes you stand out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so as you, you know, go through this process, um, you're from Arizona and you went to Emory. So where are you, where are you, where are you thinking about going now? Like now you're applying to all schools. Like where are you thinking, where's your head at? Do you want to go back home or do you want to, you know, apply to schools in Northeast, which is where you are now? Or like, how did that kind of go about? Yeah. So I applied everywhere and that is because Arizona doesn't have an in-state school. Um, it's one of the few that doesn't. And so a lot of the dentists that I spoke to, um, regarding like, where should I apply? How do I curate my list? The number one thing every single one of them said was look at cost because it doesn't matter where you go, you're going to graduate with a DDS or a DMD. Like you're going to get the degree and you're going to get a good education regardless of where you go. But you could graduate with maybe 300K in loans. You could graduate with 600K in loans or even more. And so as practicing dentists and talking to those people specifically, I think is the most important advice that you get because you can talk to students who are in dental school and all of them are going to say they love their school or, you know, they're going to look at maybe how nice the school is or the name of the school. Name brand is a huge thing, right? But I think talking to actual practicing dentists and hearing what they think is important and what we're going to think is important in 20 or 30 years is really helpful. And so when I applied, I applied all over the country, mainly East Coast and West Coast. Um, and I ended up getting interviews on both coasts. So I had options when I got in. Um, and so once I got into those places, um, I decided that cost was going to be my number one decision. And Stony Brook was the cheapest option for me. But there are a lot of other great things that I found about the school that made me solidify my decision. So we're the smallest class size in the country. 
we only have 47, 45 students this year, and it's usually 45 or 46. Um, and so that's super helpful because you get really close to your class. It's very collaborative. There's no ranking. And so there's no competition. I did not want a competitive environment. And I knew I wanted to do oral surgery coming in. And being in the med school, I think, is super helpful for that if you do want to do oral surgery. Um, at Stony Brook, we are actually graded. So you will get a grade in your med school classes. So you have to try. Um, but that can work to your favor because if you are doing really well in your classes and you get those A's, then it looks really good in comparison to, you know, a school that's just passed fail and there's no really way to um, look different from the rest of your peers. Um, and so I think there's definitely pros and cons to it. Uh, Stony Brook also has um, a lot of like ability to work on patients in clinic because we're the only dental school on Long Island. So we have we actually have a really big waiting list of patients that we need. That was a big thing I thought about was, you know, I didn't want to go to a big city that might have been saturated with dental schools and this pa the students have difficulty finding patients. And so that was a big pro about Stony Brook is that we have a lot of patients available to us and we like none of our students ever complain about not being able to get their credits done by the time they graduate. So that's a huge plus and something that everyone should look into when they're applying to a school. Mm. But yeah, I think those were like my main points in deciding. And like, did you have to, so I don't know, I don't know if some schools do this, but do you have to like find your other patients or they kind of assign you patients? Um, at Stony Brook, they assign you patients. I think sometimes they're um, also passed down after students graduate, um, but they assign you patients. I guess, that, I mean, that's even better for like a small class size because I guess everyone has to know each other at some point. So like um, more patients to go around or like that may be better connections to like from a D3 to like a D2, you know, as yeah graduate kind of get their patients absorb their patients stuff like that so yeah um, and it's also really nice because we have like bigs and um so we have like two students in the class above us who are like our mentors basically and the class above them the class above them and so already when you come in you have like six mentors which is great um and then so when you go into clinic actually during your d2 year you can assist d3s and d4s and that's super helpful because you can learn from your upperclassmen um, and then you can sometimes they'll let you like practice injections on patients. And so it's just really great. Super collaborative and very like strong mentor mentee relationships at the school. Yeah, I know. So, uh, you know, you're a D1 right now, right? So it's like your second after your D1 year. How did how were your first couple of months? I guess let's, let's go back a little bit. So how was your first couple of months of D1 year? What were your expectations going into dental school and how you, did you did your experiences meet your yeah. So I think one really big benefit for me was having an older sibling who had done med school um, because, you know, we're thrown into the med school day one. We don't start any dental school classes at Stony Brook until the first month where we do morphology. And that's only once a week, your entire first semester. So every other day you're in the med school. And a big thing that people should know is we take NBME exams in the med school, which basically means the step one board style exams is the same format for all of your med school exams. Um, and so going in, I was super nervous, as I'm sure everybody is. Um, but I think that nervousness really got me a good kickstart into the studying. Day one, I mean, I might have been a little jumping the gun, but I was making sure to stay on top of the material from day one. And that was so helpful. I would make my own Anki 
for the um, like for anatomy, for example. And I thought that was so helpful because you're studying while you're making Anki off of your PowerPoints. And then you do the Anki, you do your flashcards, and that's just active recall. Um, and it really helps because you don't have an exam um, every week or every other week. We had an exam every three to four weeks. And so a lot of students had to ha go through that learning curve of, oh, something I looked at, you know, first day of class, I don't remember anymore the week before the exam. Um, and Anki was super helpful for that because I was doing my reviews every single day, right? So the week before the exam, I had seen that material from week one, like 10 to 15 times already. I knew it like the back of my head. And so, wait, back of my hand. <laughs> um, so that last week, I could just do practice exams. And that is very, very important because NBMEs, that's like the number one thing that gives you an idea of what the questions are going to be like. You can know your material like the like nothing else. And you can still look at a question and have no idea what you're looking at because it's a completely different style than we're used to. So a lot of the questions are patient vignettes, which basically means you'll have a question that's like 65-year-old male presents to the clinic with these, these, and these symptoms. Um, you'll have to diagnose what the patient has and then do a step after that. Like, you know, what enzyme is deficient in this patient or what drug would you give to treat this patient? Things like that. So you have to have that f higher level of thinking. Um, and so your number one should be understanding the material within the first few weeks of getting that those lectures. And that last week should all be about just practicing and doing practice questions and getting used to the style of questions that you're going to be asked. Um, and so I think that going in super nervous and like getting a really good head start day one is what set me up for success in the med school um, because I was never, you know, um, surprised with what I saw when I got to d the day of the exam. Right. And so you, you know, like that kind of goes back to the DT, right? Like, I mean, use your Anki again. So you probably, yeah. like you're going to use Anki, so now you already know, like, this is probably the best thing to use. Yeah. Um, and like, to be honest, I agree. Like, if you see material like one time, you have no idea what the F is going on. And then you make Anki cards, you kind of, your brain, you're training your brain to see the material again and again and again. So then by the time you actually get to the test, like you kind of know what's going on. You know exactly what, what it is, right? It becomes a second nature. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that like you um take classes at the med school, so and you want to do oral surgery. So how how did you kind of come to that conclusion already? Like you want to do oral surgery, or you're interested in that path? Yeah, so I have wanted to do oral surgery since I was an undergrad. I think that every time I shadowed, it was the most interesting procedures that I got to see. Um, I really liked watching extractions. I really liked watching what they did in the private practice, but also a lot of the oral surgeons that I would shadow would walk me through the cases they do in the OR. There was one I remember that I saw where he had to remove a tumor from the jaw um, and the patient was a lot older. He was elderly. So he had to use a completely different technique than they would normally do and go through the neck up into the jaw. I was just like, it was amazing and so interesting to me. Um, I didn't want to go into dental school being like gung-ho, I'm going to do oral surgery because I'm very aware that it's a very difficult path to go through and not that many people are able to do it. So day one, I didn't go in being like, I'm for sure OS. Like I was very open to the other things, you know, the other options. Um, but I think things that made me realize that I'm for like, I do want to pursue that path is like I enjoyed studying for the med school classes and that was so fun to learn about, you know, infectious disease and cancer and 
biochemistry and I really enjoyed sitting down and doing the practice questions for NBMEs. So I was like, if I enjoy this material, I enjoy the procedures that they do. That's definitely a path that I think is the right one for me. You do have to be aware, you know, you have to get great grades in dental school. Um, you have to do well on the CBSC, which is, you know, the exam that's similar to step one, but it's for the oral surgery route. Um, and that is something that I'm going to have to take soon. But um, I think that figuring out that you have that interest early on is really important so that you can prepare yourself for the next few years. And I think, do you know what, you probably know um, Brandon Axelrod? Is yeah. Yeah. So he told me, he played basketball, I played basketball with him a couple of like, weeks ago. And he just took a CBSC because I think he was just he was saying that like you can take it once and then um you can just take it again later if you want. Like yeah. so you have to score it. So like I was like, you can just do that. He's like, Yeah, bro, you can just take it and then like see how it is, study more, and take it again later. So I guess like that's probably something you're probably gonna do, I'm assuming. So um that's pretty interesting. So I mean, yeah, I think oral surgery is like really it's like what I mean, blunt's fun for certain cases. Like, and 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 surgery is. I'm gonna say it's. I feel like it's the most. Like people, people just like go work. I guess sometimes. Yeah. Like it's just so interesting because you're going inside of a person, or whatever way you're gonna go, you're really taking his tooth out. You just suture it up. There's a lot of blood coming at you. Blood splattering everywhere. Just bone splattering everywhere. You usually put graft into a person's jaw, and then it can heal up. Like, that's insane to me. And I think that's, I work in all the surgery office. I always see that all the time. It's like super cool to see. And I think I'm not even going that route. I'm not even sure yet to really say that. So, but going in stealth school to get open mind is probably the best thing to do. I'm assuming. Definitely. There's so much stuff coming at you. Like, you don't even know. Right. You really know until you know it, I guess you'd say. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, So, like, how are your other classes? Like, how, how, uh, you know, is the social life at Sony Brook? Like, how does everyone get along? Like, is it, um as hard as you thought it would be like like that kind of thing yeah i think that the med school was definitely as hard as i thought it was going to be um but i think once you get used to the way that works for you and that took different amounts of time for different people um then it's just kind of you know rinse and repeat you do it for every exam i did the exact same thing for all of my classes and it worked for me and so once you find that for yourself you just have to put in the work and do it. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it was grueling, but it was it was a great time. I really enjoyed the classes. My classmates like hate that I say that. It's so gross and nerdy, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and also a big thing that I liked about the med school was we didn't have to be in person. Um, and so a lot of the time, like I had the whole day to choose how I wanted to spend my day. And that's how I was able to make time for the things that I enjoyed doing, right? So um, I would wake up, go to the gym as soon as I woke up and then come back. And it was only like 11 a.m. I had the whole day to just study. So instead of watching lectures for me personally, I like to go through the board style materials and watch um, those kinds of things like boards and beyond or sketchy um, and then take notes on that and then do my Anki. And, you know, by the time it's like a week before the exam, I have a lot of Anki built up like thousands of cards. And so I would spend most of my day doing that. And so that was really great is that I could pick and choose how I study, how I spend my day. I would like sometimes spend days at a coffee shop. A lot of us would like hang out together in the library and just spend the whole day there studying together. Um, so, yeah, I think that school wise, it was it wasn't that bad. It, it was exactly what I expected um, in terms of like social life. I 
like really love my class. Um, I think that that's one great thing about having such a small class is like we're a weird, really close family already. And like it's insane that I've only known these people for what, like eight months. Um, Like it feels like I've known them for years. And because we're now in the dental school, we're also getting closer to the D2s, 3s and 4s, which is really great because you know, you do get that mentorship, but also you can just like do fun things with them. Like we'll have school parties or, you know, we'll go get dinner somewhere together. And that's just really great just for morale. Right. Um, going on ASDA trips. So the American Student Dental Association is probably the biggest club that I'm a part of right now. Um, and I loved going on those trips. You meet so many dental students from around the country. And just last like literally two days ago, Saturday night, um, our social chairs planned an event with Columbia Dental and NYU Dental. And we all just met at a bar in the in New York City, like all three of our D1 classes, and we got to know each other. And it was such a great experience. So I feel like because it's such a small community here, um, it really gives you like the ability to get super close with the people that you're around. And collaboration is key. Right. And it's super cool. I mean, uh, I feel like a, a small class size kind of like makes it as if it's like undergraduate class like a very small undergraduate class. But when you see these people every single day, you just kind of build more connections with them. You go closer with them. And at the end of the day, like that's the best space for learning, I guess you would say. So that's pretty cool. So how? So now you're second after your D1 year, right? So now when you get back to dental school, are you kind of doing clinical things? Like what are those kind of courses like? Yeah, so the first semester we had one dental school course, dental morphology, which is basically where you're waxing up teeth. Um, and so that just really helps you get an idea of the basics of dentistry. Um, it gives you an idea of what each tooth looks like, the numbering system, where the grooves are, just the terminology in general. Um, and then this semester, we started a ton of dental school classes as soon as we were out of the med school. So right now we are taking intro to perio. We're taking cariology, radiology, oral bio, and operative. And so we are taking a lot of classes at once. But one thing that I think is different between dental and medical school is the lecture content isn't as dense. It's not going to be like you might be taking a three hour class during the day, um, but it's not going to be like taking a three hour class in the medical school as in like, you know, it, it's not as dense the material to study. So it's not as as grueling. Um, so it sounds scary that you're taking five classes at once or six classes at once, but it's not as bad. I think the biggest thing that we're getting used to right now is the lab course, which is operative. So we're learning how to do cavity preps right now, and then we're going to get into restorations. Um, so it's the first time we're holding a drill. And that is one thing that, you know, you're going to have to be aware of if you go to a school with the med school curriculum is you're not going to start drilling day one like at other schools. Um, and if that is something that's important to you, then you wouldn't want to go to a school that has that med school curriculum. Um, so for us, we had day one of drilling like three weeks ago. Um, meanwhile, we have friends at other dental schools and like they already know how to do preps and restorations and they're moving on to like removable and fixed already. Um, so that's definitely like a learning curve for us. Um, but they really help you. They give you a lot of time. We have two times a week, one to five um, to start our preps and we can come in whenever after the sim lab is open all the time and we can come in after hours to work on it. Um, a lot of us will like ask our D2 like bigs or our mentors or friends just to come in and help us with it. Um, and so I don't think that it's impossible. It's definitely like a learning curve at the beginning, but we're all getting used to it. I think that because it's like a small class size, like even if you guys started later, maybe like, like you catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Even at schools like I know Harvard has 
they don't start doing it until much later, I feel like. Um, maybe like even D2 year. But everyone, I've gone to talk to a couple of dental students. They kind of say that you just catch it because like they want you to, to be good, right? That's the point of dental school. So like it, one way or another, you'll you'll get to the same level as other dental schools, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like what else can you tell me about like your D1 year? How, um, let's see. I don't know. Like, do, have, you, have you done any obstacles lately? Challenges? Like, any issues that way? Yeah, I think that like the biggest obstacle for most of us is finding that balance between studying 24-7 and like finding time to do things outside. And for that, I would honestly just say that it's really about time management and you can make time to do whatever you want. I'm like the kind of person who I can't study on a Friday night. Like I want to I want to go out with my friends on a Friday night. So I'm going to schedule the rest of my week so that I can be off on Friday night or on Saturday or Sunday, or I want to go to the gym after class every day. And so I'm going to make sure that I pack all of my stuff and drive straight there from class, even if we get out at 5 or 5.30, so that I can get that in a day. It's really about priorities. And people who tell you that you're gonna, you're not going to have a life when you're in dental school and you're not going to have time to do anything except study are completely lying because that is not true at all. Um, it is really what you make of it. And so I think that was like the biggest obstacle, right, is you know, day one, you come in and you're like, oh, my God, I have so much I have to do. I have so much I have to study. And you feel guilty. No one talks about the guilt of not studying whenever you're awake. And that was something that I had to get used to is, I mean, I would wake up and before class, I would try to get in some Anki. And then when I got back from class, I would try to get in some Anki. But it's really, I mean, it's ex it's like that saying, like, it's not a race. It's a marathon. Like, you have to keep up your mental health because you're going to be doing this for so long that you don't want to get burnt out in the first couple weeks or the first month. And so you have to make the, the time to do the things that you enjoy and trust. It's not, you might feel guilty, but it's not going to, if you go out on a Friday night, you're not going to get 10 points lower on an exam just because you weren't studying at 10 PM. I, I think that's, that's so real. Even in undergrad, it's pretty real. Um, yeah. So like, where do you see yourself going like in your D2 year, right? So, I mean, when do you guys start D2, like when does D1 end and when does D2 D1 ends first, so like the last day of June, um, and then we have six weeks off. It's the only year we have six weeks off, and then we start D2 year mid-August. Um, yeah, so I think that where I see myself, it's it's going to be, I'm, I'm kind of like living in the moment right now because it's super nice. All I have to worry about is classes. Once summer break starts, I will be starting to study for the CBSC, um, and that's a pretty grueling process. I plan to take it in February. Um, and so, you know, I've heard that D2 year is a lot of exams. Um, also, the lab work is difficult. We take removable and fixed um, throughout the entire year. And so there's a lot of days that you're going to end up spending time past five that you're in the lab just working on whatever assignment is due. Um, so, yeah, I honestly am just preparing myself for that. I'm trying to do all of the fun things now so that I don't feel like I'm missing out when I'm just staying at home and studying for the CVSC. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think that it's going to be just a new journey. Sounds good. I mean, so um, you mentioned that you guys are like drilling now, like three, three weeks ago you started drilling. Um, what kind of things are you guys drilling? Are you guys drilling like practice dummies or like kind of like what what exactly does that entail? So the first day that we started drilling, we had like a block and there was different shapes in it. And so you start by just like using a drill directly looking like the block is on the table and you just try to fill in the shape. You have to fill into a certain depth. So there'll be different colors for 
how thick enamel is, which is like one millimeter, and then a different color for dentin and a different color for pulp. And so it tells you if you're going too deep. So you want to make sure when you're drilling that you get to the exact depth that you want. And that gives you a little bit of practice. And then the next day, um, we start directly on a tooth. And um, we place a rubber dam. We put our typodont, so like our teeth, into like this mannequin that we have in SimLab. And we start with preps that allow you to use direct vision, which basically means you don't need to, need to use a mouth mirror to do the, the, prep, the prep. Yeah, the cavity prep. Um, and so we started with a class five and a class three just on the maxillary anteriors. And the next thing that we're going to start working on is indirect vision. So we're going to do that the exact same way. We take a block, we place it inside the mannequin. So we have to use a mouth mirror and our loops so that we can see it from backwards, almost like it's imagined it's like on the lingual or like the, the back of your maxillary anteriors. Um, and then you start drilling that way. And that is different, right? You have to get used to seeing opposite vision and the depth and all of that getting used to the placement and then you start doing the preps on those teeth that require indirect vision so they plan it really well and i feel like um they give us a lot of days for catch-up too like i remember the first day not being good at it and just i just pushed too hard in the drill and it just went straight through the dentin and i was so upset i had to start over but everybody has to start over like literally you can't be neurotic when you're drilling day one like it's going to take time to get used to it, but we all do. That's pretty cool. I mean, did you do you feel like your artistic abilities that like you did on a grad and like all that stuff? Is it playing? Is it playing a good role in what you're doing now? Hundred percent. Oh, hundred percent. Um, like I think just even the little things, like I do eyeliner every day, and like That's you know, true. I have to I have to rest my hand on my face and then do it right. Like little things like that. Like you have the ways that we have to hold our drill and our um, like our hand instruments. You have there's certain there are certain techniques like you can do like the modified pen or the inverted pen and all of those things you don't even realize you do them in day to day things like when you're writing or when you're doing your eyeliner and where you rest your hand and all of those little things definitely help you with the drilling. But also I know people who didn't paint growing up and they're really they're just like naturals at it. They're just great. So it's not a requirement, but it will definitely help you. I definitely think that hand skills are something that you should practice before you come into dental school. Sounds good. I'm sure like if we do another episode like for yours, you'll be even better at it, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Because you're applying to like, residency and stuff, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's so pretty cool. So, I mean, like, do you have any last like minute like uh, advice to Brielle's, you know, entering dental school or just don't really know, uh, you know, if dentistry is right for them? Yeah, I think that the number one thing you can do to know if it's right for you is to shadow and talk to dentists. Um, ask them what their day-to-day -day is like, what they enjoy doing. Make sure that you see general dentistry a lot, but also see specialties um, and kind of see like the range of what you can do within the field. In terms of preparing for the application cycle, being a pre-dental student is very difficult, obviously. There are so many aspects to the application. And the number one thing I would say is to utilize your mentors, um, whether they're your peers, your peers can be a mentor and also upperclassmen, students in dental school and your advisors, and really just try to take advantage of everybody around you. It should never be a competition ever. It should always be very collaborative, work together. And that's like the best way you're going to have success. Thank you for the words. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I always tell even we are pre society here, like guys, like try to find, uh, you know, even alumni of the pre society, they're all in dental school. Like try to reach out to them maybe like a couple questions like they even come like you you came the other day um like ask as many questions as you can these are the people that you're trying to beat in the future right so like yeah. why people that you know have already gone through it so 
But anyway, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, I had a really good time talking today. And good luck on your your journey too. You're applying this second, right? Yeah, actually two months. So I got to The last thing I kind of have to do is a personal statement. Just kind of get that uh, more true to myself. I did write a draft, but I wasn't really like feeling like it was myself. So yeah, something that's more. I already know what I'm going to write about, but I'm going to write about that more. So awesome. Yeah, and then I guess what is it? I think that I think it opens May 9th. Mm-hmm. So like submit. put everything in, right? And then you submit on June first. Yeah, like I think it's at May thirtieth. I'm not even sure, but I think it'd be oh, right. June first. Same thing, whatever. Um gotcha. that's pretty much it. And somewhere I guess. But yeah, it's uh it's pretty crazy. Like the looking back, like freshman year, sophomore year, and I'm already a junior now, so like now could be a senior. It's pretty goes. Yeah, it goes so fast. And I think something else I want to tell, like, you know, is like, try to, try to not figure it out, but if you're interested in like medical or dental, either way, try to get into the offices, like maybe freshman year. So you kind of know like what path you want to go on. That's kind of what I had to do. So I was initially pre-med. A lot of people were pre-med, whatever. Um, and I started shadowing like my general dentist, the one that I had, I got this line with. And honestly, that's what kind of jumpstarted my journey. And then from there, it was just like, it's just like a snowball. Like, you just keep going to things and keep exposing yourself to new things and it just it just uh you find a community of um other pre-dentals that want to do the same thing as you so definitely uh, that's like the best way to learn and i don't there's a lot of advisors out there to help you on a journey but the best advisors are people that are doing the same thing as you so your peers essentially so exactly uh, yeah so just try to try to get as much exposure as you can to everything and then it all it, you'll figure everyone will figure it out right? yeah yeah no. it just comes together. it always is so stressful in the moment but everybody figures it out and I would also say, like, not to be worried if you don't hear from schools in August and September. I remember being so nervous about that. Like, other people in my class were already hearing back from schools about interviews. And I ended up getting several interviews just later. And so really try not to compare yourself. When you're in the application cycle during that process, those, like, six months where you're waiting, you really have to find something, get a hobby, get like something new, just start doing something else because you need to stop thinking about it. Like, I remember that was a big thing. It was like, I was just gonna be getting texts like, oh, did you hear? Like, I got an interview and it was so stressful, but it works out for everybody. Like, you will definitely be prepared by the time you apply. And just because you don't hear first doesn't mean you're not gonna hear is basically my thing. <laughs> All right, so thanks for coming on and we'll uh, we'll uh, try to have you on in a couple years probably whenever you're, when you have, you have like more knowledge, I guess. Yeah. More to shit. Yeah, definitely. Good luck with your application cycle, and let me know if you ever need any help. Bye.